Have you ever had a bout of gout? Greg recently went through it. I went through it last year. It is awful. It's not life-threatening, but it sucks. So today we learned about it. What is it? How does it happen? How can you prevent it? How do you treat it? And we had a fun conversation about the minor ailments that bring us to our knees. Also today we discussed the right one has to defend their own home and how far can they go in doing this because there's an Ontario man who's been charged with second degree murder for shooting a home invader. He's now out on bail. Weekend sports recap with Christian O'Mell, host of the CJOB Sports Show, and some potentially exciting news regarding the future of Portage Place. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Monday, March 6th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and on this Monday morning... Let me tell you what disappointment looks like when you wake up before your alarm, hoping you got a couple more hours to go to bed. And with your bleary eyes, you look across the room to the clock and you think, I think that says 12. But then you grab your phone for a closer look and it doesn't say 12. It says 2, 223. I'm like, ah, I got 20 minutes left. I had the exact same thing happen this morning where... I was thinking about how we were told by that sleep expert that 3 a.m. is your deepest sleep. No matter when you go to bed, 3 a.m. typically for most people in and around that time is when you finally get lulled into the the hat that, oh, yeah, the good stuff. Yeah. And I was, I, I woke up, had this feeling of like, here, it's happening. It's happening. Uh, and then I thought, no, wait, that means it's 3 a.m. And I sure enough, I looked at my clock and I was like, six minutes till the alarm goes off. We all had similar sleeps last night I'm by annoying. the sounds of things because my uh, my first sleep got interrupted. Typically, that happens around 11.30 or so. No, it was 1.34. I love the second sleep when, uh, you know, either the dog needs to go out at 11 or 11.30 and you get up and you do whatever you need to do. And then ah, I got a nice solid three and a half hours to go. Mm, no, not this morning. So I guess we're all in good moods today. And then on top of that, I had the, the, so I dreamt that I lost my job here and I had to go back and work at this call center that I used to work at like 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And then my shift was nine to five 30. And on my first day, I run downstairs to move my car because I had to move my car off at by five 30. And well, of course, tow truck drivers already there at five 35 and begging him, please, please don't take my car. And he's like, well, if you don't want to get towed, then don't park where you shouldn't. <laughs> and then I woke up and it's 2.23 and not 12.23. So, yeah, I'm just uh, Monday. I actually, on the way in, was thinking, you know, we used to have a room at the office at 201 where there was a couch. It was sort of the hangout room. And I, I was going to send an email at 5 a.m. about, can we bring the hangout room back so I can sleep? Like, there's office places in some parts of the world that have little nap pods. Yep. I want a nap pod. Like, I curled up under my desk this morning for four minutes with my little Dunder Mifflin blanket. What was the name of that, the very first uh, music sharing service? It's called Napster. Napster. My dream, Napster. Uh, my dream was always to open at Polo Park, Napstore. Uh, nice. People just come just grab, yeah, six, seven, eight bucks. You get, uh, you get a nap, a little napping pod for, you know, for 90 minutes or something like that and uh, just chill out. At the airport in Hong Kong, there's the... You know, there's lounges you can pay to go into much the way you would in Canada. But what they came with was you'd pay, you you could pay for the buffet, you could pay for the buffet and drinks, you could pay for the buffet, drinks, 
and a little pod. And it was, and so I did. I had a crazy 12 hour layover on the way to, I can't even remember where I was going. And it was a tiny little cubicle. You just sort of slid the door like a bunk bed, slid the door shut on. And you locked it, and you laid down in there, and you and then you could get up and then peg more for a shower if you felt like you needed that. Mm-hmm. A little nap pod. Mm-hmm. I want it. Did you feel uh, cramped in there at all? Like, was it uh, with some? It was uh, rem- reminiscent of being seven years old and staring up at the roof where my sister's bunk bed was, and just thinking, like, I am really in this with a lot of people right now. It was sort of kind of experimenty feeling. Yeah, but I slept. Yeah, no, the nap pod would be a great thing to have in this office. Surely there's something where we could, like, carve a hole in the walls of our little desk here where you could... Secret nap pod, though, yeah. Yeah. Now we've told everybody about it. (laughs) Where's Loren? Oh, nap pod. Can't tell you. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill (laughs) you. So... Welcome to Monday. We're going to get through it. And in the meantime, you know, we got some exciting news Friday afternoon. I actually didn't hear about it until the next day because I'd kind of unplugged my brain Friday. And then I logged in on Saturday. Like, oh, some exciting news from the Canadian Football League. Yeah, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the city of Winnipeg, province of Manitoba, will host the 2025 Grey Cup game and festival. And so that's obviously very exciting, not only for the Blue Bomber Football Club, because that injects a lot of revenue into the team. It'll be great for the economy. It's a great party. It'll bring people from all over. My only concern is, and this is with all due respect to the current roster of the Winnipeg Football Club, it might be just a tiny bit outside of that window in terms of Zach Caleros, Willie Jefferson, Jackson Jeffcoat, etc., where the Jets, or the Jets, the Blue Bombers, rather, could be that host team with the hope of of not only hosting the game but playing in it and winning it. I'm just wondering if we're just a shade outside the window for that. I at, hope not. At the very least, the momentum's there for fans to want to go to that game because the odds are good. Oh, and like, their odds will still be good. Like, will they be absolutely. as good as this year? You know, it'll start to go down year over year. But yeah, which is is completely contrary to the last three times. Winnipeg has hosted the Grey Cup 98, uh, 2006, 2015, if I'm going off memory here. The The 2015 one had just the Red Blacks and Saskatchewan, no, Edmonton. Edmonton. Edmonton, Yeah, Saskatchewan would have been a a godsend. It was a great time. But, you know, you knew when those tickets went on sale the year previous that the the chances of the Blue Bombers being in that game were, were too slim and none. Right now, I want to talk about a new Ipsos poll conducted on behalf of Global News, which shows Canadians are changing the way they approach public transit. And for some of us, crime is top of mind. According to Ipsos polling conducted exclusively for Global News, one quarter of Canadians say they feel unsafe taking public transit alone. While many Canadians have not changed their behavior, 3 in 10 say they are more alert and aware of their surroundings, and 2 in 10 have avoided traveling at night. Meanwhile, 14% say they now avoid using transit entirely, and 13% have started transiting less. Well, when we asked people if they are changing their behavior, nearly half of the people that we interviewed said they were, especially women. So not going on transit by themselves, not going on transit at night, and looking for alternative methods of getting around, particularly uh, uh, not uh, uh, traveling on their own. 
so really this is something where people are actually taking it into their hands to change their behavior. That voice at the end there is Ipso CEO Daryl Bricker. He says they conducted the poll in the wake of a string of assaults and attacks on Toronto Transit, Lauren. Yeah, but we know the numbers show from that poll that at least a quarter of the people across this country are worried about safety on transit. And I, I've done this weekly. You know, you Google transit and crime in Calgary or transit crime Edmonton, transit crime Vancouver, and there's something making the headlines in those cities, not daily, but weekly, right? So we know it's on the rise and we certainly know it's been an issue here in Winnipeg. And 55% of people polled in this Ipsos survey say they believe these attacks are not isolated incidents, but part of a wider trend on crime in Canada. It's a fairly consistent finding over time, though, when Canadians uh, talk about violence. Uh, you know, what they see in the news, what they, uh, what they read online, uh, the more lurid a situation is, tends to get more, most of the attention, which would lead people to think to a certain extent that these things are actually increasing. So it's, 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 a, it's really what they're experiencing, not necessarily in their personal lives, but what they're experiencing through the media for the most part. So that's the idea, for me, the idea of perception versus reality. And there was a time not so long ago that I would have said the perception of crime in this city doesn't necessarily match the reality, that the headlines might make you think, oh, wow, that's crazy, or the high-profile crimes would worry you. But then you think, no, that's not my reality. I still go into work and I feel relatively safe. I don't know if that's the case today. It's certainly not how I feel today. And I don't mean that I'm walking around with this unsafe feeling all the time, but I am more weary leery rather or on alert and it's not because I think I'm about to be assaulted it's because crime is everywhere like I can't every store you go into these days it seems that you notice a security guard so maybe I'm not about to be attacked but I'm aware that there's robberies that have taken place I go grocery shopping they've changed the hours I stop somewhere and they decide that they're that you can't go in a certain door you're all being funneled through one door to prevent theft from happening and so it's not that I'm about thinking I'm going to be stabbed at any moment it's just that you can't escape now these little wee things that make you think huh well what happened here in the furthest corner of Winnipeg that has this shop operating this way yep and for so long we felt that that certain crimes were geographical in nature they only happen in certain parts of the city well now we're seeing as you say businesses different other facilities taking measures in order to reduce the likelihood of these things happening and so that has it at front of mind. I, I, I know even in the last couple of years, we've had our conversations here about the mindset that I have even in my own driveway in the middle of the night. Am I doing the right things to make sure that if there's somebody around who's intent on, on maybe causing me harm or wants to take my car, uh, am I limiting their opportunity? Something I never thought about a decade ago. Once again, doesn't mean I'm living in fear. I'm not fearful. I'm mindful of what's going on. And I think there's a huge difference there. And with regard to transit, Brett, I think sometimes misery loves company. But in this case, we see transit crime going on right across the country. And so I'm hopeful that Winnipeg isn't an island in this case. And it would appear as though it's not. So I'm hoping that perhaps there comes a national strategy on how to deal with this, not only in our city, but in major cities right across Canada. Yeah, because you have to have a good public transit system to be a thriving city. And I remember the first time I went to Toronto, I was blown away at how good their various systems were because they had their buses and they had the trains in the city. And then there was the go buses and the go trains that kind of took and you out. And the streetcars. There's all sorts of different ways to go. But yeah, go go to take you out to Burlington or Oshawa or wherever. You could be an hour and a half from Toronto, but most people commute 
by train and then bus and then subway. Yeah, and when I went to Calgary, we got to ride their LRT, I guess. And yep. Edmonton had its subway system, Montreal. And so all these places that I've been, I was I marveled at their public transit. And I lamented that we didn't have the same kind of thing here. And even when I, 20 years ago when I would take the bus, I always had my head on a swivel because I would often get on the bus downtown at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and even then, I didn't feel safe. And now it's way worse. Well, I was having a conversation with somebody just over the weekend about Vancouver. My grandparents used to live in North Vancouver, in Lynn Valley, back in the 80s. And my brother and I, we used to take the bus on on our own. Like I was 13, he was 11. And we would jump on the bus, go down to Lonsdale Key, get the, the, the uh, C bus to Vancouver. We'd jump on the SkyTrain. We'd go all over without any concern whatsoever. And my kids, both my boys are six feet tall or taller. At 16, 17 years old, Vancouver, Toronto, Winnipeg, I'm not giving them freedom like that to go and, and run around on transit and go and explore. Uh, maybe you can call me a fraidy cat or a, or a chicken little, but uh, I just uh, I, I just don't see it as as as, as uh, easy an option for them to. I would be concerned about their safety. And here's the thing: it's it's not it, it's not that you've experienced it. It's not even that you've heard about it. The numbers show. That it's bad. So it's not perception anymore. It is the reality. Richard saying they were on Portage Avenue Saturday night, stopped in an ESSO, went to just get a tiny thing of chocolate milk, and they had to have it handed to them through that little lockbox that a lot of the gas stations use now. And he was surprised by that. It's before 9 p.m. and didn't have that happen before. And now you have these little wee places that are doing all sorts of things to stop just those minor crimes. And that leaves everyone feeling, what just happened here that they're operating like this? A bout of gout. Have you ever had one? It's awful. What is it? How common is it? How do you prevent it? How do you treat it? That's at 7.35. But let's use that as a springboard for this conversation because I think in the grand scheme, and maybe the doctor we're going to talk to is going to tell us something different, but I think gout is really a kind of a minor thing, but it just feels like like death. It sucks. I hate it. I had it last summer. I couldn't... I, I had to... <laughs> when I tried to get up, to go to the bathroom and put my foot down and thought, what is happening here? I had to crawl out of my bed and drag myself like a serpent to my washroom because it hurt that bad. Yeah, it hurts a lot. The first time I had it was about seven, eight years ago. I was convinced I'd been doing home renovations up and down a ladder uh, for multiple days. I was convinced I had a stress fracture in the top of my foot. Went went to the Pan Am Clinic on crutches. Long story short, ended up Misericordia Urgent Care. Doctor says, uh, "Yeah, no, you have gout, my friend." And so I'd, I'd been pretty fortunate not to really deal with it until uh, last weekend. And uh, oh man, it 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 sucks. It's miserable. So let's talk about the minor ailments that just take you down. Uh, like for example, we mentioned your tea, Greg. What happened? You burned your mouth? I burned my mouth a week ago today. I was uh, thinking about weaning myself off the uh, morning uh, Timmy's because we've got red rose tea here at the station. I've got my Yeti and we've got sugar. It got everything we need. So I uh, boiled up a pot of water and uh, warmed up my Yeti. And I guess I warmed it up just a little bit too much. Took a sip too soon and scalded the roof of my mouth. It wasn't too bad for the couple days after. 
But uh, in the healing process, I think it started on Friday. I can start feeling it. I've started feeling it on the roof of my mouth again. And so my tea today, not nearly as enjoyable. It feels like I'm suffering all over again a week later. Boo earns. So text us at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win some tickets for AEW, All Elite Wrestling, Canada Life Centre, March 15th. Let's go around the horn here. Cameron Poitras, why don't we start with you, sir? Uh, well, I recently was dealing with uh, one of my wisdom teeth in the bottom, uh, I guess. And it, it had already poked out like when I was in high school. And of course, you know, I'm just not, uh, I'm just ignoring the problem when I eventually have to deal with it. Um, but anyways, uh, I think it was a month and a half or so ago, it decided that it was going to, you know, protrude a little bit more oh, no. and it squeezed, um, my gum or whatever. It made like this, this, like my gum became like this hard ball and it was kind of like overlapping <laughs> the tooth. It was really gross and it hurt like absolute heck. And uh, I was on, like, Advil and Tylenol and all that sort of thing for, like... I, I had to, like, constantly be taking them or, I like... Did I, you well, go to I the dentist? Do... You didn't go get it looked Why at? Why would I go to a Why dentist? Why do people already? do that with their teeth? Like, you could be hurt in so many other ways oh, and eventually I knew what it go was. to the doctor. I looked it up on the internet. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and I was right. You I was absolutely teeth. right. Forget their wrong. 10 years of schooling. The uh, internet has told me. Yes, well, but I was right, though. So, so, so where are you at with it? Well, I'm, it's gone away. So what, what's to worry about? It, it went away. Yeah, it's coming back. You know. Well, of course it is. But I'll just deal with it then. <laughs> that a boy. Kick the can down the road, baby. <laughs> you should be a politician, a Cam Poitras for City Hall. Well, you know the thing is, right now, Greg, we're dealing with a, a problem that really deserves a, a real comprehensive approach. We're getting to the table with all stakeholders <laughs> to decide when Cam is really going to look. <laughs> at uh, the, the real decision on how he's going to handle his wisdom teeth. We're, it's, it's in the process. We're continuing to consult. Stay tuned. You're going to have a Stay study? Tuned. Study? Uh, many, many. Well, <laughs> we, we've already sort of started the process in terms of studying um, uh, the, this whole entire issue, but we're, we're working towards a, a resolution right now. Again, bringing the stakeholders <laughs> to the table uh, when we're going to really yeah, you uh, said come that to a already. conclusion. <laughs> well done, Poitras. Well done. Those teeth are coming out, by the way. Uh, Jeff Braun, what about you? For me, it was about eight years ago. I was playing just uh, sort of driveway basketball with a buddy of mine and his little kids, and I pulled something in my shoulder and it still every now and then will hurt. Uh, for a few years, it hurt all the time. Now it only hurts once every couple of months if I move it kind of the, in the wrong direction. I did go to the doctor like two months after it first happened, and I was just I, driving to the doctor. I was just like, okay, he's going to want to book me for surgery as soon as he can and this sort of thing. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to ask for time off. I wonder how long it takes to recover from shoulder <laughs> surgery. And he just laughed at me, and he's like, what do you want me to do? You're old. <laughs> he's like, don't play basketball if it hurts you like that. It's <laughs> like, okay, thanks, Doc. <laughs> um, yeah, the shoulder pain. I, I did something to my uh, rotator cuff years ago and it bothered me for a long time but uh massage therapist was able to help with that so um what about an ingrown toenail anybody ever have an ingrown toenail not on my yeah. toe yeah i ripped it out oh, oh boy which you're not supposed to do no. apparently as you didn't well. google that one properly i no, i didn't yeah my doctor <laughs> had to push it out and uh yeah. my my dad almost killed him because I, I i can't imagine what it sounded like in the waiting room like i was i felt like i was in some sort of medieval torture chamber <laughs> 
It was awful. But yeah, again, it's just something so, like ingrown toenail. It's not like I, 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 I have a railroad spike in my head. No, and you're limping <laughs> along and people are like, oh, what happened? You're like so embarrassed to admit it's just your toenail. Yeah, and then I let it, it was my own fault. I let it go too long. I was just a kid and dumb. Uh, what about you, Loren? Well, the things that happen when you're playing with kids, like bronze injury and basketball playing with it's it seems like it makes it more embarrassing because you weren't doing, not even when you were just playing with adults in the game, you're playing with your children. So I, I think I might have told this before, but peak COVID, you know, you're just making up games with your kids because you're all alone together. And so we came up, my youngest and I, with this game called Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner. And whenever, <laughs> nothing to do with chicken, but if you yelled out Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner, you had to chase that person or they'd chase you and so we were just chasing each other through the house and i felt like this I could, was like a random declaration just like all of a sudden i don't know where he'd yell winner winner chicken dinner and you're like i'm coming for you buddy and he just chase him and then i leapt over this little stool like thinking you know you get to that point where you're racing and you're competitive now and i'm gonna get this then six-year-old like he's gonna get it <laughs> or eight sorry he was eight and uh i leapt over this thing and came straight down on my knee like fell hard on oh, my no. knee and tears immediately spring to my eyes and probably for six months afterwards that knee i I'm, i don't know if it's just a bone bruise but it felt like i had shattered my kneecap and you're trying so hard to keep playing and i'd be limping and then someone would say what's wrong and you'd be touching your knee all the time and you couldn't you didn't you didn't want to tell someone the story because it's with your little kid and you just fell like a just fell because I'm old and I can't stop myself from falling. Did he at least come over and check on oh, you? Oh, he came over and checked on me. did you tag him? No. Because I, I couldn't even, I was, I was out of breath. You know when the pain takes you and you're out of breath? And then worse than that, um, a couple weeks later, I'm still complaining about it. And then the kids say, you always tell us to, that, we're not, that we're fine. Like when we hurt ourselves, she goes, you're fine, mom. You're fine. <laughs> you're fine. So you're fine, mom. I, like, I am not fine. the minor ailments that bring you down, bring you to your knees. Right now, we want to talk about how, what are your rights when it comes to defending your home? So at 6.15, we were telling you about the 22-year-old Ontario man who was charged with second-degree murder for allegedly shooting an armed robbery suspect inside his own home. The Ontario man was just released on bail a few days ago, and that incident comes less than two months after self-defense laws in this country made headlines because of an incident in Halifax. In that case, two men were invading a home, police allege, when a resident fatally stabbed one of them. That death was ruled a homicide, but in the end, no charges were laid. So two different cases, two different outcomes, Greg, but the question, what are your rights? Scott Newman is a criminal defense lawyer here in Winnipeg and joins us now. Scott, good morning. Morning, guys. How are you doing? We're doing well. So help us sort this out. At what point is this self-defense and do I have the right to defend myself in my own home in Canada or not? Well, I think the first thing that's important to set out is that we don't have what the Americans would call a castle doctrine. Your home is your castle and you can do whatever you want in it to anybody in it. We don't have that in Canada. And uh, like a lot of laws in Canada, we have... um, basically a reasonableness requirement you have to be reasonable in your use of force and uh, there's a lot of different factors that go into determining whether or not a use of force is reasonable what might some of them be because at face value when i heard this story i thought okay someone comes into my home and they're armed and i defend myself i shouldn't have to worry at all about police coming in but is it about the weapon is it about how many? Is it about the fear level I might have for my own life? Like, how, how do we weigh all that, Scott? Because in the moment, 
I don't think anyone's thinking about the criminal code in that case. That's right. And I think, you know, just as a as an underlying base to think about these things, we have to think about what do we want as Canadians on a policy basis. We don't want people just pulling out knives and guns and, and blasting away in their homes and, and maiming and wounding and disfiguring because there's all kinds of reasons. And, and you see it in the States all the time where somebody's teenager is coming home late from the bar or, or is, is uh, coming home from college unexpectedly and they shoot their teenage son. Or you have police executing a search warrant and police officers. We had that case in Winnipeg about a decade ago uh, where police officers were going into the home with a search warrant and ended up getting shot at. So we just don't want that kind of, of regime in Canada. So the courts are going to look at all kinds of things. You know, did you try and determine any information about how serious the threat was? Was it genuine or were you mistaken? Uh, is it uh, a case where it's one-on-one or is it three-on-one or five-on-one? Do the people coming into the home have weapons or not? Uh, what's the difference in size? Uh, is there any history between the individuals? Obviously, if it's um, uh, someone that you have a good relationship with, that's going to be less of a concern than if it's a, an abusive ex-husband breaking into the home. Uh, and I think the courts and juries, who are ultimately who decide these things, are going to want to see what steps did you take to ensure you had accurate information, you were making a reasoned decision that you can justify. In this case, the charge is second-degree murder. At what point would a, would it say a manslaughter charge uh, be issued instead of a murder charge if, if someone enters your home and you kill them defending yourself? Well, you know, there's uh, manslaughter is always a lesser-included offense to murder. So if you go on trial for murder and the judge or jury determines that you didn't have the intent to kill... You can always be convicted of manslaughter. In fact, uh, there's the kill uh, case, K-H-I-L-L, out of Hamilton, where something very similar to that happened. Mr. Kill was a former Canadian Forces officer. Uh, Somebody was breaking into his truck in his driveway of his home. Uh, He snuck up behind the person uh, with a rifle and said, hands up. And he believed that the person was reaching for their waist, so he shot the person twice. Uh, Mr. Kill's case went to the Supreme Court of Canada about two or three years ago. They overturned his acquittal, sent it back for a fresh trial. And just in December of this year, he was convicted of manslaughter because the jury said, we don't think it's reasonable that uh, you're shooting somebody in the back to find out whether or not they have a weapon or not. You have to ask some questions first. So, Scott, what's your sense in terms of the justice system in Canada? Is is self-defense a, a defense that works most often? Is the justice system looking to get you, to nail you for doing, for doing just that? Or, or is the justice system reasonable for the most part in, in your view? Well, you're always going to be going in front of the jury of your peers, right? If you want to have a trial in front of 12 good people, from the city of Winnipeg, you're going to have to def- to justify your decision to them. Self-defense is a justification. So you're having to say, this is what I did and this is why I did it. If your actions are reasonable, you're entitled to an acquittal. Scott Newman joining us live on 680 CJOB, a criminal defense lawyer here in Winnipeg. Scott, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for this. All the best to you. We're asking you this morning about the minor ailments that we endure that just bring us to our knees. Fortier, we didn't get to you just after 6.50. What's yours? For me, it's something that I think we've all done it, 
where you just sleep very weird in a weird <laughs> position and you'll wake up and you're like, oh, my back and like I can't move and you're in pain. Well, last week I did that, except I slept weird on my left wrist and like I was in so much pain on Friday that like answering the phone here <laughs> and turn, turning my wrist just to put the phone up to my ear. I was like, ah, like I had to. <laughs> I, 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 I to, How did that go? I had to, I had to put my I had to put a bottle of water in the freezer here, and I had to put that freezing bottle of water on my wrist for like two hours. It reminds me of the Office episode because it all comes back to Office, where they're talking about office safety, and the warehouse does its whole safety thing because they have big pieces of equipment, and then they come to the upstairs, and Toby walks them through carpal tunnel syndrome, and yeah. and Daryl's like, these are not real things. Like, this is not an injury, but it's not true. Once you have them, yeah. you, re- you come to, re- like, repetitive strain. The, the, my forearm, the pain I get on it sometimes from just moving this mouse. Like, it's so embarrassing. It does, shouldn't be embarrassing. You're and- just trapped in the same movement. There's very little room, room under this mic, and I just feel like moving it back and forth by the end of the Friday. It's like, oh, what a workout for these wrists. <laughs> what a workout. Well, this and the sleep thing, too. I remember the first time I slept on an air mattress, I was camping at Red Lake Falls for some tubing in uh, Minnesota. And I guess I just passed out. And like, I woke up in the same position I fell asleep in, where I was more like a crawl into the tent and pass out. And um, I couldn't turn my head to the right because I slept, you know, on my right side. Yeah. So if I wanted to turn right, I had to do a full body yes. swivel because of my, my, my neck was permanently sort of angled to the left. <laughs> Yeah, it happens. And again, what people say, what's the matter with you? And you don't even want to tell them. You need to come up with a really good story yes. and stuff that like that happens. And the, the slept, the slept while you know injured while sleeping, really bites. It's Saved sort a of life, a, pulled a man from the river. <laughs> I didn't hear about that on Global News. I'm pretty quiet about it. I'm pretty yeah. shy. I like to play low profile for don't, my. Don't want to. I'm on the down low, low down. What does Andy say? Andy says, "I just tuned in, but it sounds like you're looking for stories about silly things we've done to ourselves." You nailed it, Andy. Well, I'm really good at that. When I was in my teens, our next-door neighbor and I were playing football one uh, fall Saturday. It involved trying to get the other guy with the ball. Tackling was allowed. I think uh, Matt Dunnigan calls that murder the guy with the football. At one point, he tackled me. I couldn't get the ball out from under me, and I ended up cracking a rib. Oh, wow. Spent the rest of the weekend breathing really shallow, shallowly. Over the next couple of months, I kept re-injuring it, so I finally went to the doctor. He said I came within a couple of millimeters of snapping it completely. The school trip to Agassiz was the next day. When I asked if I could go, the doctor said, if you must, but if you fall, try to fall on your right side. (laughs) 204-780-6868. Keep those stories coming for a chance to win tickets for AEW, All Elite Wrestling, Canada Life Centre, March 15th. Rick emailing brett at cjob.com in regards to getting out of bed in the morning. Even at my age, rolling out of bed is easy. It's getting up off the floor. That is the problem. (laughs) And right now we want to dive right into what we've been talking about this morning. Gout. I had it last summer. I thought I broke my foot. Like I I tried to get up and I could not put my foot down on the ground and I just sort of collapsed back into my bed and I had to actually drag myself out of my bed and crawl 
to the bathroom. It was the worst. And I actually went to a small injury clinic to see if I'd hurt myself or if it was just gout. And of course, by the time I got to the clinic, that's, that was the first time where I could walk without my makeshift cane, my golf umbrella. Uh, so the doctor said, okay, it's probably gout. And uh, that was that. And yeah. I took some leave and uh, started to feel a little bit better. So I didn't think much of it then, but then last week Greg went through his bout and I was like, well, Brett just did this. And then you came in and you, were, you knew this time what you had. I was very, uh, very positive that that's what I had. And so I was trying to battle it with Aleve and Advil and and was uh, ba- battling it and winning for the most part. But then Friday afternoon, we were uh, out as a group and it, I was hobbling around like I had indeed broken my foot. So that forced me to go to a doctor to see about it for the first time in about seven years, Loren. So I thought that's it. We got to find more about what is gout? How common is it? What's going on? Because you two aren't alone. I hear about this often. I don't know if that's the age bracket we're in or, or demographic or what ha- what have you. But Dr. Corey Bailey is a community rheumatologist in Winnipeg. Dr. Bailey is also an assistant professor of medicine at the U of M. Good morning. Good morning. So let's just go with the basic question. What is gout? Well, gout is a type of arthritis that occurs when you have too much uric acid built up in the body. It can form uh, crystals in the joints when there's too much uric acid, and eventually that can cause sudden attacks of inflammation like uh, you fellows just described. Where does the uric acid come from? How does it develop? What am I doing wrong, Dr. Bailey? Well, our body normally makes uric acid, and then also uh, what we take in in our diet can affect uric acid levels. So what are the bad things? Like, like, I think we've heard it described as a rich man's disease. It's like red meat and, and alcohol. And I know that when I had it, I'd been to the pub on the Friday I drank, where I drink a few beers and I had a burger. And then I think the next day I had hamburger helper. So it was clearly a very healthy weekend for me. And then surprise, surprise, on Sunday morning, I couldn't even walk. Yeah, they used to call gout the disease of kings. And in, in 2023, uh, really, we're all kings. So... Um... You know, healthy body weight is probably the most important thing we can do in exercise. Uh, moderating uh, uh, animal protein intake. So I tell my patients, eat less of anything that has a face. And then uh, moderating alcohol use and, and soda pop is also bad. So uh, sugared soda pop. It's like the worst advice any of us could get right now, Dr. <laughs> Bailey. But I hear what you're saying. And, and I was curious, you know, that it's about your diet and how you consume. But I, is there an age factor here at play at all? Because I, I might look around this room and say, well, I'm going to bet these... The, the, the habits were the same 20 years ago. So the older you get, are you more prone? Definitely. Uh, more common in men than in women. Uh, men can get gout younger. So uh, not uncommon for men to get gout starting in uh, 20s or 30s and increasing as we age. In women, uncommon to get gout uh, before the menopausal years, uh, 50 or so. Okay, so what about treatment? I went to a doctor. I got a couple of different prescriptions. One was pretty hard on my body. Uh, Over-the-counter medication has helped me manage it in the past. Uh, What are some of the avenues here, Dr. Bailey? So a couple of treatments. The first treatment is treating the the acute attack, treating the sudden attack. And for most patients, depending on your your prior medical uh, history, uh, anti-inflammatories are usually the most effective treatment. So either over-the-counter ones like Aleve or Ibuprofen or prescription anti-inflammatories. So that's one part. And in most people, treating it with anti-inflammatories will settle the attack down within uh, a few days to a week or so. And then in people who are having more frequent attacks, and the attacks are, are quite bothersome for them, like uh, like you gentlemen described, there are medications that we take in the long term to try and lower the uric acid levels 
because most people aren't able to make the lifestyle changes to uh, to decrease the uric acid enough without the help of, of taking a long term medication. Can is this you're like can this be considered serious? Like I know. Uh, within a few days it was gone and and I've made some dietary changes or I'm attempting to make some dietary changes to to prevent this from happening but it felt like death so but given how awful it feels is there a point where gout is something we should be like actually worried about you know that's a good question you know the attacks are are very sudden and, and quite debilitating when when someone has them uh, with time if you don't make the changes uh, the attacks will become more often. And in some people, we call it chronic gout, they can have a low-grade grumbling amount of inflammation at some point in the body that uh, can even cause damage to the joints. How about, is any of this hereditary? Are there some of us that are predisposed to this based on our genetics, Dr. Bailey? Yeah, there definitely is a, a genetic component uh, to it. So, so some part is genetics and, and some part is lifestyle. You're exactly right. Basically, I just wanted to blame my dad for it, is what's going on there. <laughs> Dr. Bailey, you know, we talked about the idea about your diet. Genetics can play a role. But if I look at uh, just headlines in recent years, it talks about, you know, England was talking about gout being on the rise. There's different health magazines that say, quote, the ancient disease is making a comeback. So it's been around for a long, long time. Are you seeing more of it in your practice? I think definitely more in our practice, and I think part of it is just the change in lifestyle. Our, our lifestyles have become more sedentary, uh, more uh, processed foods, uh, so we're not taking as good a care of our body as, uh, as what we should. And in terms of foods that, you know, there's, there, we've talked about some foods to avoid, but are there foods or perhaps beverages uh, that we, or even vitamins that we need to be getting more of uh, to, to prevent gout from coming back? The main things are just uh, avoiding animal protein, so getting protein from other sources like legumes and nuts rather than uh, our traditional meats, and then uh, avoiding alcohol and, and soda pop. This isn't a form of scurvy, is it, Dr. Bailey? Totally different. <laughs> That's good. That's great. <laughs> Do you see, is scurvy still a thing, though? That's pretty uncommon now in, uh, in our North American population. I don't know why it came up this morning, because when we talk about ancient diseases, for some reason, that always pops up. Dr. Bailey, thank you for the time. We're going to have to bring you back because I feel like we're getting a whole whack of listeners with gout questions coming in. So it seems to be a pretty common thing, as you're saying. My pleasure. Dr. Corey Bailey, community rheumatologist, joining us live on 680 CJOB. He's also an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Manitoba. Yeah, I, I, it's one of the worst pains I've ever felt. Well, like, like to the point where you and you can't even touch your foot with your bed sheet. It just, it's awful. And it's the last thing you want to tell people that you have because it just sounds gross, like gout. The word is gross. There's connotations associated with it, and I was very embarrassed to admit that that was exactly what I was dealing with. It could have just been from a, a big weekend, though. No, like if you or Christmas, for example, if you overindulge, and I don't mean alcohol per se, just the foods. You have a bad period, and then suddenly, doesn't mean you're living a full slovenly lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, like that's exactly what happened when I got it. I had, You're a healthy I had a person. You had a bad, you had an interesting week. Let's go with that. I was on vacation and yes. I enjoyed my time off, and then I paid the price. And when I came into work, I still remember I was hobbling down the hall like, uh, uh, and Greg looked at me and thought, "Are you gonna die?" And like, "I will be fine. Just gotta get to my seat. I can't feel my foot." 
Portage Place Mall has long been looking for new owners, and this morning, CJOB has learned a well-known name could be interested in making a big purchase. Yeah, Richard Cloutier has been working the phones on this one for weeks now and joins us now. Good morning, Richard. What do you? What can you tell us? Good morning. I can tell you definitively that the owners of True North Square are very much interested in taking over Portage Place, and that's not just the Chipman family. That's the Richardson family as well. And uh, because of the convoluted ownership structure of Portage Place, this is a tri-government uh, ownership group, the Forks North Portage Partnership. So that's one level that has to gain approval for this. And so uh, I am told by at least four sources that the feds and the province have signed off on this, but it has to go through the formal city hall structure. Now, part of the mall as well is owned by a Burnaby, BC-based real estate firm, and that what uh, city hall and what's going to appear on this agenda later this morning is to allow True North that window of opportunity to negotiate with the Forks North Portage Partnership to gain its approval and that Burnaby-based firm that is looking to sell. You'll recall Starlight had a deal that would have essentially turned much of Portage Place into a multi-family uh, apartment complex with some retail and some office. That's off the table. True North and the Richardsons have uh, ambitious plans that they have not publicly disclosed as of yet but this would be hoop one in a series of stages that would allow Portage Place to have local ownership. Richard, uh, shopping malls, even in the suburbs, are changing dramatically. They're evolving, if you like. We know what's happening at Polo, Polo Park. Yes, they remain shopping centres, but they've become service centres as much as anything, and now residential development. I know True North isn't saying out loud what, what they would put there, but can we imagine that Portage Place will be very, very different than, than what it looks like now, and its function also be very different? Yeah, I, I think, you know, what I have been been told is that they like the Starlight idea as far as opening up parts of the mall north to south, because it's been described to me as the Berlin Wall that separates, you know, uh, Portage Avenue and the downtown from the north. So we would see some of those openings. I don't think they're as ambitious when it comes to multifamily simply because um, there isn't the market that Starlight thought it could build. But you have to think what has been um, the focus of Mark Chipman, and that's been on downtown safety. There's a downtown safety announcement later this morning. And I think um, the Richardsons and the Chipmans appreciate not only as being you know, a family with significant business interests here, but they realize in order to make Winnipeg whole again, we have to address some of those chronic issues that we see on the streets of Winnipeg. And I think that's been the focus of these families behind the scenes for quite some time. So I can't imagine True North um, without um, addressing some of those needs and integrating that into the future of Portage Place, if indeed they're allowed to negotiate with this Burnaby firm and uh, North Forks Portage Partnership. But nobody else, I'm told, is coming to the table. 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier with some big news about Portage Place. Rich, thank you for this. We look forward to hearing more developments on this story. You bet.
We're asking about the minor ailments that bring you to your knees, like Curtis in Morris, who says, uh, a hot solder burn that landed in my belly button. It's been 20 years, but I can still feel that pain. You're not supposed to solder anything shirtless, Curtis. That's that's a lesson there. I spilt, I remember being in high, maybe grade nine, and was making bacon. I don't know, you know, you know you're in high school and you can eat anything at any time of day, and I think we're doing breakfast for midnight snack, and I spilt hot bacon grease over my thigh, like through my jeans, mm. and I was scarred right up until like five years ago. I had, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it, was, it really did some damage. Oh, geez. Just a little, it was, it was just a drop, and I just fell right to the ground, and I don't think it's the same as a solder burn, but... Well, hey, bacon, that's hot stuff. You don't want that getting on your skin. So 204-780-6868. The minor things that bring us down for a chance to win tickets for AEW. We'll pick that winner at 9.15. So the Briars underway in London, Ontario. Winnipeg set to host another Grey Cup. And it was a weekend of mixed results for the Winnipeg Jets. To discuss the weekend in sport, the host of the 680 CJOB Sports Show, Christian O'Mell, joins us now. Hi, Christian. Hi. And I got to say, in terms of minor ailments that bring you down, for me, I'm tall and I'm clumsy and I lose track of where my feet are all the time. I stub my toe a lot Mm -hmm. and boy, does it suck every time. Yeah. No, there's really nothing. There's no way around it. And if you, depending on how bad you hit your toe, that might be that toenail that ends up falling out all the time. Is it often the same spot in your house or work, Christian? No, No, just anywhere, anywhere. Okay. Yeah. Because sometimes you stub your toe at the same corner of your bed, and you're thinking like, and every time it happens, you think, "I gotta move that. I gotta fix this." And then the month goes by, and you do it again. Yeah, Christian's feet are so large; it's sort of like the moon orbiting the Earth. His large toe, <laughs> even though they're connected physically, it's tough to keep control and 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 manage where where that toe lives, right, Christian? Absolutely. I just I just lose track. It's just so far away from my brain. My feet are. That I think they just lose the the brain connection and they just do their own thing sometimes. I think there's some uh, extra science that needs to be done on this one. Hey, Friday night the Jets got steamrolled in a six three loss to the Edmonton Oilers. I think that score flattered the Jets a little bit uh, in the first of two games uh, between the two teams, and then in the rematch the Jets found a way to win an old fashioned Smythe Division shootout on Saturday night. You got to be of a certain vintage to get that reference. I apologize. What what do we take out of the weekend? for the Winnipeg Jets? Well, there's a couple things. One, it's good that they won a game, first of all. And I think when you're in a slump, you can't really worry about how you win a hockey game. Just win a hockey game. That's where you got to start, and then you can work on the details after that. The fact that they finally got a win, and they scored seven goals after barely scoring for two weeks, that's a big deal for them. It doesn't hurt that Jack Campbell has not had an awesome season in Edmonton, and he was not great in that game Saturday night. But, hey, you'll take the wins wherever you get them. It was contributors all over the place, like Cala Capobianco with a snipe that should never have gone in, and then Morgan Barron with a breakaway goal. These, you know, I've really liked the play of Morgan Barron the last couple of weeks. He's been one of the, I think, the Jets that's been the most consistent. Uh, but now, all right, you got one win. Can you get some more? You got a Sharks team tonight that's not very good and that doesn't have a lot of going for them. So what do they have in the tank? Uh, but then the schedule gets pretty hard again. So this is a Jets team that still has a lot to prove. Their playoff odds are still pretty good, basically because Calgary stinks worse than the Jets do, and they can't sort it out either. 
Um, they're going through some tough times. So the Jets, I think I checked this morning on Money Puck, they said 87% mm. uh, the Jets' playoff odds are. So that's still good. It's not as good as it was a few weeks ago, and they're still in eighth. And the thing is, you want to get in the playoffs, sure, but you also don't want to have to play as an eight seed in the first round. That's a tough road to go down. So there's, there's still time for them to obviously climb back. There's not a lot of point difference between everyone in the Central. So it's a good start in the right direction, but they got to build on it tonight. So you referenced the, the Sharks there. They're two points out of last place in the quest for the best chance for the first overall pick in the upcoming draft. Not a good team. You've alluded to that, but we've got Minnesota coming up on Wednesday. And we can look as far ahead as we want, but it really is a game-by-game game case. And even with San Jose, I hate when we play games like this where you f- assume that because they're bad, it's an automatic W. Well, and the Jets in years past have maybe struggled in games like this. Uh, this year, they've been a bit better against the, the lesser teams, though not in the East. If a team is from the Eastern Conference, the Jets have just outright struggled against everybody. But uh, for the Sharks, this is a game that they should win. They have not played yet this year, so it's always interesting to play a team for the first time in March. But the Sharks are a a very beatable team, but the Jets right now are also a very beatable team. So we will learn more about them tonight because a two-game winning streak, whoa, here we go if they can get that done. Moving from one sheet of ice to another, let's talk some curling. Matt Dunstone, Reed Carruthers. Uh, Mike McEwen is going to win the Briar for Ontario, isn't he? I don't think he's going to win, no, but he's looking okay so far. And, and he plays for Ontario. He's the hometown team. It would be very interesting for that squad to win. I don't think they're going to, but they beat Brad Guju, and that's an impressive W. The, the, the Canada team hasn't been playing all that well so far. They barely beat New Brunswick yesterday. So it, it the first weekend is always... Uh, maybe a little bit upset heavy compared to the rest of the week. We saw this at the Scotties as well because everyone's sorting out the ice uh, to start things off, and there's always an adjustment period. We saw it big time in Kamloops at the Scotties a couple weeks back, and, and the best teams get the read on the ice the quickest, and they figure it out the quickest, and then they, they catch fire. So I think this Brendan Botcher team is going to be tough to beat. A top pool B right now with uh, McEwen and and Canada, probably the other two teams that go through to the next round. And then in Pool A, Kevin Cooey, I mean, you can't really ever count him out. Just got his 100th career win at the Briar. And then Dunstone hasn't really played all that much yet. So they're the one seed at this tournament. Uh, Carruthers and Northern Ontario both up there as well. And I got to say, just from my own personal standpoint, I do prefer watching the Scotties to the Briar. Uh, I think part of it's just because I'm burnt out from watching every draw of curling for two weeks so that now I get to the Briar and I'm not quite recovered yet from the Scotties. But also there's just more rocks in play. There's more strategy. And I think more times in men's games, you'll just see, oh, they've blanked four straight ends. Cool. Nothing happened there. It's 3-2 in the eighth. Awesome. I think that happens more often and I think that's just more boring. Do you know anything about the University of Winnipeg Westman basketball program at all, Christian? I do, yes, Greg. I happen to call many of their games at home when I can. Pretty uh, big uh, revelation over the weekend. They're off to the Elite Eight. Tell us about it. Well, it's not a revelation. We knew that a couple weeks ago, but uh, the seeding, we did not know what it would be. They played in their conference na- uh, conference championship on Friday night at Victoria. They they were down by 10 for most of the game. They couldn't quite get over the hump. Victoria's the top seed, so it was still a valiant effort for the Westman playing in their first ever Canada West title game, but by beating the Bisons a couple weeks ago, we knew they'd be going to Nationals, and that starts 
uh, next weekend. Well, the entirety is this upcoming weekend. Friday's the quarterfinals, Saturday's the semifinals, and Sunday's the finals. So you could make a, a very quick trip to Halifax, or you can make it worth your while. They'll be the seventh seed, and they're taking on the Ottawa GGs. They're the champions of Ontario, and it's going to be a tough one for the Westman. But again, they've, they've made it this far. Uh, this is their first time at Nationals in almost 30 years. It's been a very impressive season for them. They really defied expectations at every turn. It's been a lot of fun to follow them. And they did play the GGs at the final of the Westman Classic. They're over the Christmas break tournament, and they lost by nine. So close game, but uh, at least they've seen them before, so they have a bit of a scouting report. I went to school at Carleton. Ottawa U was sort of the opposing team, and I still have to ask you all these years later, what what is a GG? For God's sakes, what kind of name is that? You know what? I used to know this. See? I don't anymore. I've forgotten I, it too, Christian. I just I was just Googling it now. Yeah. What <laughs> is I should look it up and explain it on the show tomorrow. It's a I, horse, I, I think. But, like, come on. Yeah. Eh. There's yeah. a lot of weird college mascots across North America, so I'm not going to judge them too hard. I think there's uh, lots of uh, Ukrainians out there going, isn't that a grandpa, a GG? Well, to be fair, a lot of people are like, what's a Westman? So, well, And that's fair, but at least there's a geographical explanation there. Uh, real quick, what do you think of the Blue Bombers hosting the Grey Cup in 2025? Is it outside uh, of the window, at least based on, on pre- present roster makeup with regard to you know the Bombers trying to replicate what Saskatchewan did in 2013, and that's to, to win the Grey Cup on home turf? I think it might be the outer edge of it uh you've got Kolaris signed through 25 it, it, it a lot of the key players on this team are going to be quote-unquote football old by then and you wonder what they can do in three more seasons but we don't see teams win great cups on home turf all that much and the Bombers haven't had many chances because they don't play the game in in cold climates all that much but I think it's great for the city to get it for the first time in a decade once it's finally played uh, can they get to the great cup I, th- I think right now, obviously, they're the best team, but it's impossible to predict three years out. I'm going to say probably not, but who's going to come take their place? That's something that we'll have to learn over the next few years. Christian O'Mell is the host of the CJOB Sports Show. And Christian, if you uh, want to look up some interesting college mascots, just uh, check out the Rhode Island School of Design mascot and uh, enjoy yourself with that. I can't even really describe it on the air. Without... The RISD. Yes, that's right. The big RISD. And we'll just leave it there. Christian, always a pleasure. Thank you, folks. The retail division of True North Sports and Entertainment is considering buying Portage Place. What would you like to see there? More shops, more housing, grocery store, or something mixed use like retail, grocery, downtown clinic, etc. Cast your vote at cjob.com. We're not putting Water Park in this one because that always skews the results. <laughs> so that's not on the table. And it's definitely not on the table. But we're, we're waiting to see what comes to City Council this morning. There's a There's a... City committee meeting this morning with the Standing Policy Committee, and the report's supposed to come on that's going to show what, in principle, a plan might look like for True North Sports and Entertainment to consider purchasing Portage Place. From what Richard Cluche reported with us in the last hour, because he's been working on this for weeks, that we're it's a very slow process. There'll be a lot of due diligence, and it'll be a, what he called a you know a tri government part. Par- partnership with lots of layers of help from everybody. So the details are few, but 
I think the idea that we're looking at a local business, looking to have a local impact on that huge swath of land is a big deal. Yeah, so there, there's a multi-governmental uh, you know, unit that, that oversees Portage North, uh, the, the, the Forks Portage and North Portage Development Corporation. And then the other sort of fly in the ointment is there's a British Columbia uh, company involved in terms of who owns the mall. And so that's another piece. So there's a separate negotiation that needs to take place there. So I think this is this, uh, this MOU, this memorandum of understanding may just open the door for true North, uh, to officially, uh, enter into some conversations. So there's obviously a lot of things that need to get done in order for us to even maybe even see a plan or get an idea. The starlight plan that we saw a couple of years ago was exciting. It was ambitious, but pretty quickly, you know, starlight, not from Manitoba, from Ontario, you very quickly saw the, that the that the scope of the plan might change, and certainly the government involvement changed rapidly and was evolving at a at a massive pace. By the time the deal wound down, there was all sorts of federal government money on the table, and still it wasn't enough for Starlight to close on that deal. So it'll be interesting to see now that it's a a, a local group that has their pulse on this. It's obviously a critical piece of, of redeveloping the downtown and getting that momentum back. And I, I think these are the correct people to be doing it. From the sounds of it, it's not going to look like it does now. It's not going to be a revamp of what's there. And it's not going to look like that Starlight investment either. But who knows what might end up there? I think Water Park, Brad just said he was going to suggest that. Brad, <laughs> keep dreaming. Minor ailments that bring you to your knees. We talked a lot this morning about gout. And if you've never had it, you don't want to have it. Trust us, it's brutal. Greg and I can confirm it's terrible. It's obviously not the worst thing, but it feels like when you have it, it's just you, you can't do anything with that foot or toe or ankle or whatever joint it's in. It's terrible. The foreigner sang about feels like the first time. Feels like the worst time no. when you have gout. Let so me tell you that. Geez, now I'm going to be singing that all day. Every time I see like you. like the worst oh, time. So bad. <laughs> well, Deb here is running the Slurpee gauntlet. Deb says every time Slurpee head. But you just never learn. All my muscles in the neck start to spasm. Then it hits my chest. So I start to deep breathe through my mouth, hoping to get the outside air in to balance the ice throat which that's what I'm familiar with, never works. And then 15 minutes later, I'm doing it all over again. That's the best part about Slurpee consumption is that you like you take that sip, you have the freeze, and then you put your Slurpee away, and then five minutes later, you're like, I'm going back in. I can probably do it better this time. I know I can do it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get the brain freeze out anymore. I think I'm, uh, I've Immune? developed an immunity to the brain freeze, although I did experience brain freeze again. I know it's slightly different than when I had uh, hot mustard for the first time. It's the same effect. We looked this up. Pretty much, And yeah. we looked this up last week, Greg, off air, because I said I love that feeling where I slam the sure. fist down and I love the wasabi going up or hot mustard oh. going into my sinuses. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's you get a rush from it. It was endorphins. Endorphin That's why people kind of like for it. For sure. That makes sense It's almost me. like you beat it. You were successful. Like, I hate it. I survived it. the hot mustard challenge. I love that feeling. <laughs> St. Bonavis Hospital Foundation, the research center, did that thing on how to combat the brain freeze. I'll get to the video to you guys. It's pretty interesting. Really? Like opening the mouth, and I think it might be someone putting their tongue on the, the, on the <laughs> palate. Yeah, on the roof of your mouth. <laughs> it 
works. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> <So> <laughs> just, <laughs> making all kinds of funny noise, funny faces. Uh, this listener says, back maybe 14 or 15 years ago, my husband and I were in a bowling league at Polo Park Lanes. We were in the last lane, and I tripped while throwing my ball. So it was a slow motion fall, trying to catch myself. I ended up falling down and getting pretty good rug burn on my arm and cheek from the carpet and material on the wall. Like, I, I fell into the wall. My husband still makes fun of me to this day about it. My arm, cheek, ear had that bad rug burn red in my arm, too, uh, quite a bit of time. It took a quite a bit of time to heal. The ball just went in straight into the gutter. Um, usually there are injuries with the balls, but nope, my bowling injury is rug burn. I hope there were witnesses there that that's how you got the rug burn. Otherwise, there might have been some other questions happening. Fair. Just saying. <laughs> Let's move on to George, Please Greg. Please let's move on. <laughs> George, you enjoyed George's, Greg. I used to be a car mechanic before I went blind, so I used my hands a lot. About five years ago, I woke up one morning to make my coffee, opened my hand, and one of my fingers snapped, hurt like heck, went to the doctor, told him what happened. He called it trigger finger. I laughed so hard and, and said, no, really, what is it? Then explained the tendon in the finger snapped like a trigger on a gun. So I asked, how do you fix it? He tells me, uh, warm water, make a fist, and then release. So I've been doing that ever since. Then I find out that there's surgery to fix a problem. Five years later, starting to get better, no surgery. That's fascinating. No kidding. And imagine, yeah, like imagine being your doctor tells you that. It's trigger finger, and you're like... <clears throat> Yeah, whatever, Doc. Like, hey, look, can we, okay. you know, you, know you, you make, ha ha, you're ha, funny. Ha. You're a funny person. But, uh, oh, it's a, an actual thing. Okay. Better wow. than them saying not much. When you say, well, what can we do about this? Not much. Like Jeff Braun being told you're old. I, I've That's, been told that. That's why I switched doctors years ago. Really? Well, you are in your 40s. And I was like, and I hope to live twice as long as this. So okay. I have 40 more years of this. And that's going to be the last time I see you. Yeah, see you later. But our winner, Loren, is Steve, a.k.a. Your Majesty. I was the branch manager. I had gout. I would walk rather difficultly around the office with one dress shoe and one sandal. I had to explain to staff and customers what the issue was. It took more than a week to be healed. Folks at the office started calling me your majesty and connecting dots between my manager role and being a king. It was funny, but they didn't have a toe the size of a baseball. <laughs> right, because it was the disease of kings for all their rich consumption. I think that's pretty funny. Steve, I'm congratulations. Start you guys that. Okay, your highness. Next time we have it. Yeah. Zero sympathy from me. Roll out the red carpet then. <laughs> I wouldn't expect sympathy. Hey, sir, can I have some more? <laughs> There'll be curtsies then. <laughs> If you drive over the Provence Bridge into St. Boniface, it is almost impossible not to notice the plaza at the southeast corner of Provence and Taché. For years, the Promenade Café and Wine has been a fixture there. So this from Facebook over the weekend. Connie and I are happy to announce that Promenade Café and Wine is finally sold to a wonderful new owner. It was important for both of us to find someone who will continue operating the space as a restaurant. Promenade is such an important part of the Provence biz zone and the French community. The I in that sentence is our next guest, Loren. Sean Branson joins us now. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. I'm, I'm curious about the mixed emotions here because on one hand, I'd have to think that officially saying goodbye is heavy, but on the other, you're happy to see where it's going. So let's just take a, a step back and talk about how long you've been looking to sell. 
Well, we uh, closed uh, May 18th. Uh, it was a uh, Saturday uh, that uh, unfortunately we uh, had, a, had a rough service because so, some people called in sick with COVID and uh, and then uh, a lot of the staff left and it was really difficult to try to restaff with, with the labor shortages. So we had to, had to close and cancel 180 reservations for the Sunday service and we we tried to open, we tried to re- rehire, but the issue is is that we had we have Fort Gibraltar, so we had to either be short short staffed in both businesses or have to close one, and unfortunately, Promenade had to be closed. Sean, we keep hearing about these staffing shortages. Where are they going? Do you, like, do you have any idea where these workers have gone? Because the, you know, only in the last couple of years have I ever heard of such difficulty for restaurants to find staff. Like it used to be a go-to job for lots of young people to go work at a restaurant. Yeah, our, our industry. I'm, I'm on the advisory committee for Red River for, for training chefs and front of house servers, and and we're getting uh, staff into that program a little less than than pre pandemic, but a lot of people uh, left the left the profession. They went into construction. They went into office jobs, that sort of thing. And when we reopened in May, a lot of the country clubs and uh, hotels, everything reopened, and uh, there just wasn't uh, enough people to go around to staff all the different places. So. Sean, I'm glad you used the word profession because I think that that, that some people use the distinction, uh, you know, if you're not a chef and in the restaurant business, you're, you're not a professional. If you're not a manager, you're not a professional. But there are lots of folks who work in the kitchen and many folks who are bartenders and servers who are absolutely professionals. Absolutely, and 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 a lot of these people um, are, are are passionate about about customer service, about uh, taking care of people, pleasing people. If they weren't that way, uh, they wouldn't be in, in the food and beverage and hospitality business. So let's talk about the future of your old location. What what do you know? What can you tell us? Because I think it's neat that you're you're happy about this, and and then what that means for the look of Saint Boniface and the feel of your community. Yeah, when when we had to close down and we didn't have enough staff, we, you know, we were pretty defeated, especially, you know, 11 years uh, at that location. We've been in the industry for much longer, but we had a lot of passion and, uh, and uh, that, we, that we put into that space. And, and we could have sold it to a, a doctor's office and never would have been a restaurant again. But when you look at what Promenade is, it, it's such a central part of the Francophone community. It's a place that's open breakfast, lunch and dinner. It's a meeting place. It's, there's tradition. When I worked at Beaujolais uh, a restaurant across the street uh, back in the 90s, I mean, we went there for burgers and fries between service. Uh, it, it was, you know, and the French community is an amazing place uh, to uh, to do business, and, and there's such a, a great feel there. And it needed to be, and we 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 paid full rent, paid full hydro, full everything for uh, for over ten months, and uh, well, longer than that. Jeez, it's, it was a long time. It was a lot of money that we wanted to make sure that it continued on as a restaurant because it needs to be a restaurant in that space. So that section of St. B seems to have been primed to become a, a special neighborhood for years. And I lived there for a short time and I, was, I felt that. But just curious to know what you think. Has it achieved its potential? Well, I mean, it's it's a work in progress, and, and it's a challenge because it's such a small business zone. But I mean, uh, since we've been there, I mean, Chocolatier Constance Pop moved in. We have, you know, Colosimo, uh, 
uh, and Cafe Postel for, you know, espresso shops. We have Sugar Mama, which is a, a cookie place. We have all these uh, great, uh, uh, you know, places that, that create a destination. But uh, And we're working on, you know, getting more foot traffic and that sort of thing. The sidewalks were just redone last year on one side. Uh, so there's a lot of the great things happening in Provence, and I know the French community is launching a lot of tourism programs that are targeting people from Quebec and 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 the U.S. and 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 Europe. So you know we're we're, we're working on it, but it's always going to be a work in progress. It's a challenge, uh, uh, you know, for 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 retail. But there are opportunities. There are spaces that will be opening up with some development, and uh, we want to make sure those developments have retail on the main floor. So uh, we hope you know at some day. We'll, we'll look and we'll go, wow, you know, this is where we were and this is where we will be. But definitely Promenade needs to be a restaurant in that community. Some terrific vistas, some wonderful walks in that part of the city. And as people get back out and, and get at it, I think that sort of thing is going to be highlighted and, and may genuinely uh, impress uh, some folks or impress upon some folks the, the different variety of businesses that are on Provence and so what's next for, for you, Sean? What's for next for you and Connie? Well, for us, we are going to help uh, the new owner, uh, you know, achieve his goals in, in opening. Uh, and then uh, we're also at Fort Gibraltar. So we do over, you know, 70 weddings a year um, and uh, special events. We do uh, Winnipeg Beer Fest, which is a local beer festival that happens at Fort Gibraltar and Be Food Fest. And we're thinking about bringing back Poutine Cup, which is a, something that's been hiatus uh, before the pandemic. And so it's just concentrating on Fort Gibraltar and uh, serving great local food to, to people in, uh, at that location. I just said yes when you said poutine cup because the last time I was yeah. at Promenade, I think I had your tortiere poutine. So I'm, oh, yeah. I'll just you'll have to stay tuned. I'll have to stay tuned, I guess, to see when this might make a comeback. Yeah, I'll let you know all about it. Uh, you can just invite me over for the poutine though. Also, anytime, just yeah, yeah, <laughs> beer fest and, and and yeah, anytime. So, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do it. I'll I'll meet you in one in the uh, in the blacksmith shop. Exactly. Routine, you know, there's a lot of lot of lot of places to, to go at Fort Gibraltar. Forgive Brett and I if we call it Gout Fest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we might have a treadmill as one of the stations, maybe. Oh. Sean Branson joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk about Promenade Cafe and Wine changing hands, but Fort Gibraltar uh, shall live on under Sean's direction and guidance. Sean, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Always great. And uh, if anybody knows Poutine, it is Sean Branson and his team. I know. The poutine that he comes up with is astonishing. I know, and I'm going to show up at the blacksmith shop later and ask for my horse's <laughs> feet to be done and also a cup of poutine. <laughs> Your horse's feet are, uh, are a little Hooves, bit uh, behind. whatever they're called. Whatever. Yeah, they need a shodding. What is it called? Your shoes need to be shod, shed. Is that what it is? I don't know. I don't either. Why would I know? I don't know. I know poutine. I don't know horse's feet. So are you squads. talking about your own hoofs or uh, the horse you rode on in? No, if you're going to go to the blacksmith shop, you need to have an animal. Don't you? Don't you? You should have an animal, yeah, but who knows what state your toenails are in. Moose's Although there, there is cut. there is a, uh, yeah. a, a place called Blacksmith in downtown Winnipeg that does pedicures. And That's it's, true. Uh, it's for it's it, it's a target. It, the primary customer base is it's like pedicures for for dudes. Yeah, we 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 really need to go there. Yeah, we, I've been we, to go there. We had them on the show a few years ago. I think when they launched, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they're on. Fort, Gary, somewhere in that vicinity. 
For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.